Our enemies are innovative and resourceful, and so are we. They never stop thinking about new ways to harm our country and our people, and neither do we. Whether long-range weapon or suicide bomb, a wicked mind is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether your solar wave sun or BBC One, this information is a weapon of mass destruction. You could a Caucasian or a poor Asian. Racism is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether inflation or globalization, fear is a weapon of mass destruction. My dad. AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome all to Mission Accomplishers. Mission Accomplishers, hosted by Hunter Hawes and Eric Nelson, Saturdays at 7 p.m. on AM 950, KTNF, here in the Twin Cities, and podcasted around the globe, the flat globe, the flat map, rectangular earth. Is it on the interior also? And it's hollow. Yeah, can the hollow earthers get it? Mm Mm-hmm, with the reptilian clan... Controlling everything. Yeah, well, those are the good reptilians. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the th- main thing that they control would be the media. And there is something kind of devastating potentially on the horizon. To backtrack, I mean, the first iteration of what uh, – of media consolidation – Happened in the 90s with Bill Clinton with the 1996 Telecommunications Act, uh, which effectively took away the rules in place on how many radio stations a certain owner could have in a market. And it allowed uh, corporations like Clear Channel to just buy up tons of stations. and So they can pretty much control the market for a type Mm -hmm. of radio station. Yeah, and – the consequences of that is radio has gone down in quality and the airwaves have just been polluted with drivel because it's a playlist. It's a cookie cutter format across the country. There's no character it becomes in an radio algorithm. and it's all used for the interest of the corporations and then their subsidiaries. Somebody says, so is Clear Channel the Enron of the radio industry? There's something to be said about the diversity of musical tastes of Mm -hmm. the DJs across the country. Absolutely. And you lose all of that individuality and flavor of the location that you're listening to radio at when mm -hmm. it just becomes a playlist created by Clear Channel because of some metrics they figured out on polls. You no longer have personalities who curate the music, like admirable, interesting people choosing playlists. You now have like board members in a meeting deciding what they're going to play and how often they're going to play it. Yeah, but, well, 13 to 17-year-old white girls in mm-hmm. Oklahoma really like this new Katy Perry single. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so effectively, it just destroyed the character of the radio for the most part. Well, right now they are talking about potentially loosening those ownership rules even further. Um, the reason this is going on is they there's pleas from uh, basically those uh, clear channel executives that they need 
to loosen restrictions to compete with the current media landscape. They need to continue growing. Their entire model is based on the idea of infinite growth. When you already control a third of the media landscape, you need to eliminate all other rules. So what's unfortunate is that it is a like it's very possible that this will go through because it's the Trump administration and the current head of the FCC is more than in favor of deregulation. Uh, but what would occur if this goes through is um, in small markets, a single owner could buy every single station on the AM band. There would be effectively no limits on small market AM stations. And then in larger markets, like a Minneapolis, you could buy most of the AM band. And Which, if we continue progressing in the rate we're going, mm. maybe they'll own the whole band in five years. Mm-hmm. And uh, FM, it would take away the restrictions currently in place and um, allow, I think, double uh, the amount of stations you currently can own. Which is incredible because think about how few owners there already are. Yeah, there's about six that uh, major companies that own like 95% of the media. And then there's probably three that control 80% of that, mm-hmm. right? So it's, uh, it's scary. And the way this works is it comes down to just a person who decides if this is going to happen. I mean, there's like a council as well, but it's, it's not an the, elected power at all. I think it's the chairman of the FCC, right? Yeah. Who is also very popular it's, for his role in exactly. eliminating uh, the, the uh, net neutrality. Net neutrality is the word I'm looking mm-hmm. for. Yeah. Ajit Pai, I think is Ex- his name. Yep. That's him. So it's, it's likely that this will happen. Um, fortunately, if there was a Democrat to win in 2020 and appoint a new head of the FCC, you could roll this back. But it's still concerning that uh, a lot of damage can be done before you took it away. I mean, and you can't really change ownership as easily once it's in place. We're only playing defense at this point. I mean, I don't hear of anyone talking about breaking these companies up. Mm, Yeah, I don't. That's what's... Um, encouraging, though, that there are uh, Bernie, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, there's a couple other candidates that have specifically talked about uh, breaking up the media conglomerates in it. And it's it's Which, so important. It's Yeah, that should be a bigger focus, in my opinion. Because it should. A lot of the problems we face as a country mm-hmm. are because people have this very isolated, fully constructed set of facts that – do not align with the rest of the world. Yeah. But they're able to construct that because all of the media comes from one source that offers them this different narrative. Yeah, 100%. And uh, you don't hear it much. Even though they support these things, it's not one of their main talking points that's getting out there all the time. And and it's not something that, like, you're, the general public really understands the, like, implications of how this happens because they kind of – your average person would just take the radio or TV for what it is rather than knowing what caused the way it is right now. Sure. You don't ask how the sausage is made. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, man, it's 
it sucks because the radio has so much potential. It really can be the coolest medium there is. And to just destroy its potential, kill off its cool, pollute the airwaves, it's sad. It frustrates me. Because really the radio should reflect every single market that it's in. Like you should take a road trip across the country and go on a adventure through just what's on the radio. And there's a small enough overhead that it can cater to these more niche tastes. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting is we pre-recorded this, and today, me and Eric, today's Saturday, spent the day at Podcast Du Nord, a podcast convention that we actually gave away passes to this week on the radio, to the best podcast idea. But... What's interesting about podcasts is it takes away the barrier of entry and the gatekeepers in place that the radio has and that, like, Clear Channel has specifically. Podcasting is just available to anyone to broadcast and build their own following, and we're seeing it now. And it's a very interesting medium that's going on. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see how it progresses with the greater prevalence of wireless internet you know yeah. 4g they're talking about 5g mm -hmm. when every new car comes equipped with some sort of connection to the internet yeah that, that's... what role is that going to play in the role of radio mm -hmm. and me and chad have talked about that is it's not necessarily a doomsday scenario for radio or am radio or us specifically because there's potential that the AM band could change to a digital-ish uh, just platform that is a better accessible, better signal. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily going to just wipe off an independent radio station like us. I mean, but the same we don't thing, know at all what's going to happen. Same thing happened with TV yeah. maybe five years ago, right? The antennas and uh, Everyone had to get switching those, to the uh, digital. Mm -hmm. Cable boxes? Mm-hmm. But and, no one really noticed the difference. Well, I mean, like visual qualities, you absolutely, absolutely yeah. notice the difference. Uh huh. But in terms of broadcasting, it was about the same. Mm hmm. Uh, so it's kind of a mystery what will happen in the near future. Currently, though, radio is surviving. It's getting really good ratings, even with all the competition that uh, it has nowadays. But Podcasting is definitely the younger brother that is coming on fast to radio. Like uh, the the momentum podcasting has and the potential and just uh, the, the unique medium it is. I think that if there's one competitor for podcasting, it's not necessarily radio. It's music in general. It's the media form because I know for myself at least, I listen to way less music mm -hmm. since I've started listening to podcasts. Me too. Before, whenever I'd drive in a car, I'd have CDs, I'd have MB3 players or something. I'd be playing mm -hmm. music until I discovered podcasts. That doesn't mean I don't listen to music at all anymore. Mm -hmm. But a large portion of the time that I would have been listening to music, I'm now listening to podcasts. And that's what happens with podcasts is 
it ta- it becomes your friend. The hosts of podcasts become people that you're familiar with, that you enjoy their presence and company and personality that you form this relationship with, even though you don't know them in real life. Yeah, there's definitely podcasts where I feel it's embarrassing to say, mm-hmm. but you feel like you have a relationship with these people who uh-huh. have I've, never met you. Absolutely. It's a completely omnidirectional relationship. But at the same time, there's something to be said about the comfort of listening in on these conversations. Yeah. I've always said that uh, the podcasts I listen to, they're my real friends. And the, the people I know are just the people I know. Yeah. My friends are just podcast simulators. <laughs> um, but with podcasts, it's still the numbers are not quite there. Like, uh, there's a barrier there's, to entry, at least for the listener. I know that I've had to describe to my parents yeah. what a podcast is so many times. Uh-huh. And I don't know what the difficulty is there. For, but I describe it as like it's Netflix. It's like TV except for the radio. But you can listen to the show whenever you want. That's a good way to describe it. And but, yet I still have to describe this every time. Yeah. I not There's still less, less than half of Americans know what a podcast is. It's about 40% have listened to a podcast in their life. Uh, so, And it might just be there's not as much advertisement for it. You know, there's there so isn't. many podcasts. Mm-hmm. There's not as many big ones. Okay, there's, you know, you have NPR shows. Mm-hmm. But those are really just radio shows that people can also download. You have Joe Rogan and... Yeah, that's a huge one. But the market for that is probably the people who are already listening to podcasts. Yeah, there is a lot of um, – there's a lot of podcasts and then there's only a few people who are on the top. But also, I mean, you've never seen a TV commercial. I yeah. guess maybe sometimes there's like affiliated podcasts with a TV show mm-hmm. and they'll say, hey, we have a podcast also. But you'll never see a commercial specifically for something that is only a podcast. Yeah, that's very true. It is. But yeah, it it is kind of a wild west that right now is it, it's definitely not figured out how it's going to be in the future. They're still defining exactly mm-hmm. how the economics of it are going to work. Yeah. And the economics that is a good point. Podcasts a lot of them are user supported, like crowdfunded, people donating for content that they like and a lot of podcasts are able to thrive with that model. Yeah. I can't imagine that the advertisements over podcasts get a ton of money just because there's a couple companies that seem like Do all sponsor of every single podcast. Yeah, and It's like either Stamps.com mm-hmm. is the most profitable business mm-hmm. on earth or they're not and giving that much money to these companies. What's interesting is the top five advertisers on radio and the top five advertisers on podcasts, there's no overlap. They're Really? Five complete different companies. So people choose one or the other on what they want to advertise with. I guess with radio, it's more regionally dictated. Yeah. And but there's obviously regional podcasts it's, too. Uh, the the top advertisers are like Geico and uh, kind of widespread oh, okay. ideas. Uh, like the, so – Maybe aiming for a different uh, age group? In uh, – like comparing the two, though, that is radio's advantage is the local aspect mm-hmm. is because podcasts are not able to do that the same way. 
radio is a great way to connect with the the community that you're in. Uh, where, whereas podcasts don't have that aspect. Yeah, the big podcast advertisers that I'm thinking of are like Squarespace to make a website, uh, Mailchimp to have like mailing lists, uh, Stamps.com to send out products, and they all seem kind of oriented towards people who have their own business or some sort of yeah project going on that they need to collaborate with other people. Uh huh. Yeah, and there's also podcasts they have a lot of. Internet companies, so mm-hmm. like hipper uh, or just more technical, tech savvy people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the podcast and radio future. Uh, I wonder if podcasts will have some sort of platform of discovery that is similar to the radio, where you could seek out networks that played podcasts it doesn't seem like it's like scroll through podcasts that are already streaming yeah i i never see that happen and to me it's such a no-brainer that there should be some way for to access content on the internet in some sort of network format with just more freedom to pick and choose what plays when that's not a bad idea for some sort of podcast network to just Mm -hmm. be playing a loop of their shows where someone might stumble upon it uh-huh. I I don't get why that doesn't happen. Like, to me, it's been a no-brainer for a while. Like, internet, just videos, it's the same way. Uh, music videos, you could do it that way. Just any type of content you find on the internet, create networks. And so far, yeah. I haven't seen anyone explore doing it. I mean, you can find playlists on, like, YouTube. But mm-hmm. that's annoying because there's going to be commercials between everything. Where if you're yeah. producing your own content, you don't necessarily need constant interruptions with commercials yeah and it doesn't feel the same as when you yeah. turn on the tv or turn on the radio it seems like things are queued up and you can jump around and skip around if you want to yeah um but I, I would love that i don't know why what's holding someone back from creating that the these big companies they're exploring though things like streaming like apple and spotify they are going after the on-demand music yeah i think people overlook uh at least in the marketing departments overlook the paralysis of choice for a lot of times people don't want to pick their own stuff Mm -hmm. they want to be fed just a playlist they don't want to have to think about what they're going to listen to next absolutely they just want to have a list of things that share their point of view or maybe their taste whenever you go to like uh, a get-together of people uh, and someone suggest putting on music everyone goes uh what do you want and hands it over (laughs) and they're afraid to make a choice because of exactly what you're saying just you can't you're paralyzed from all the options um it's like when someone asks you what your favorite band is yeah that's always hard or what kind of music you listen to that one's hard because it's like i don't know i like everything everyone says yeah I know. I don't necessarily like a specific genre. I like mm-hmm. the good music in that genre. The way I answer that, to just have an answer other than everything, because I think that's not a good way to go about yeah, that. I hate that answer. I say instrumental music. And then when they pry, I go, I don't know, I like like hip-hop beats but without rapping or uh Jazz music, but I just prefer music without lyrics because 
lyrics are specific. They're telling you what to feel about a song, whereas instrumental music, you can put your own emotions and experience to it. That's so interesting. That's my answer. Because my favorite music is the like highly lyrical music. Like what's highly lyrical? Or like it has a focus on the lyrics, like the Mountain Goats or Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Uh, like yeah, rap music okay. sometimes. Yeah, to me, it's just. Uh, I mean, I like lyrics too, but I prefer instrumental music for that fact. Is that I can create how I feel or whatever I'm doing. It can be the soundtrack to it. I understand perfectly. that. It's and a lot of the music that is like really lyrical. It's takes a certain amount of mental bandwidth to listen to to yeah. really appreciate where. Instrumental music can kind of be playing in the background mm-hmm. and just kind of set the tone of the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, th- such a hard question. And uh, networks would do a good job of having things for people to identify with rather than them having to choose everything. Of, you know, how many podcasts do you think there are? There's so like, like a half a million. million. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're somewhere in that. We're like looking at... Close to a million different podcasts. Well, sometimes I'll just type in a random word for fun into yeah. one of my podcast apps and see all the podcasts of with the name, yeah. let's say, microphone in it. And there's <laughs> hundreds, and half of them only have like two episodes. Yeah. Uh, that There's also not a good podcast discovery tool, like a search engine for podcasts. They're, they're all kind of poor. At finding things. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever even used it. I've just used it through word of mouth on different social media of recommendations. Yeah. But I've Uh, never tripped upon like a podcast. Oh, I've tripped upon them, but it's it's hard and it's something that will improve with time. It's something that's not there yet. Uh, It's an example of the development of podcasts that we're in right now. Um, But with that, there's there's also – YouTube, which is highly influential and going through a lot right now of controversy of whether YouTube is a platform and publisher and defining how much for that they're not. Well, that's what they're claiming. They are that they're not right now to so they don't have responsibility. So they're trying to hang on to that status as long as possible. I would argue that to just clarify or define yourself as a host, you wouldn't have a front page that offered recommended stuff. Yeah, I you know. And there's the no next up alternative. Uh, yeah, so that is just budding controversy and making people upset who are either like content creators or just fans of YouTube. Uh, defining YouTube's uh, responsibility with the content that it – recommends suggests makes available uh it's it's a sticky situation mm-hmm. i understand that it's important to these people who have their livelihoods based on these youtube algorithms or how much they get paid for this or this yeah. or this but it's so boring for me <laughs> for what the w- viewer when it's like uh, all right well my life isn't based on youtube i wait i don't understand just that it's it, it like the youtube the people who make a living through YouTube, yeah, 
speak about YouTube as if it's the most important thing oh, in the world. Oh, sure. The drama within YouTube that and how important they, they yeah. talk about those things. Yeah. When yeah. it's like I understand that the policies are uh-huh. a big deal, but then it gets into like it's minor, weird. minor feuds between certain yeah. characters. It is weird, the, the YouTube culture and like, it's like how – interconnected they are like so what the, is the issue here is it the terms of service or is it this one guy uh-huh. who's in a fight with this guy it's crazy and how just many people get caught up in this drama i mean we're talking about more people watching these youtube drama videos than watch the nightly news and it's always like seems to be so petty and yet it's mm-hmm. determining something uh basically very influential in the lives of Everyone who has a computer. Yeah. Um, I'm actually reaching out to a YouTuber. He goes by the name Progressive Voice. Have you seen him? Are you familiar with him at all? Mm, I don't know. So, one, the name caught my attention right away because we're the Progressive Voice Minnesota. And I'm like, Progressive Voice? Yeah, you're busted. Uh, We're suing you. Go to jail. He's doing exactly what you're saying. His videos are – he's the TMZ of Progressive Media. And I just thought it would be funny to bring him on just as kind of trash content like that. Yeah, so, let's just start some beef and then we uh, can ignore it and he'll keep putting people on us. But he's got a good like sense of humor about that role that he is doing that. He's he's aware of it and um, it's it's in a likable way. But it is funny because it is the exact same style of TMZ but involving like – left-wing media figures does it have that like surfer dude in the back surfer dude oh yeah, yeah sure you know, the, the they're calling yeah. around the office it's yeah not as elaborate it's just one kid who does it and you know uh, that main tmz guy is like 80 years old whoa i might be making that up let's look I think up he's like seven he's in upper 70s i think he must be on just absurd amounts of testosterone and human growth hormone i gotta remember his name too TMZ guy. Yeah, that, I'm sure it will be the first result. Harvey Levin, born in 1950, so that's, oh, okay, that's 70, not even close. 70 years old. Okay, he still looks He looks much younger. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But that's what just baffles me is how we create these new things, podcasts, YouTube, these new ways of exploring and more freedom for content for videos for radio and it immediately goes back to gossip it just inevitably always goes to gossip whenever you have a medium for art yeah that's one thing i always thought that bands should have more of feuds between bands in music Mm -hmm. there's not many music outside of rap rap is the only one that has that characteristic really because it's like individuals because you don't really see rap groups getting into feuds with rap groups. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know what that is. If music's kind of a collaborative experience, so they're less likely to attack people. You see a little bit of it, but you're right that there isn't as much. It doesn't need to be severe. Just playful rivalries, yeah. like uh, my and uh, Al Malberg's rivalry. Well, Everyone needs a rival. That's like a bitter feud that's, to the death. Yeah, that's serious business. But poor Malberg ain't on the air no more, no more. <laughs> Let's 
continue with YouTube and there's been a lot of discussion lately the past couple of weeks of the influence of YouTube on young people's political beliefs. And uh, I mean, we've been having this discussion for a while. The like pipeline to the alt-right or far-right views via YouTube and the discussion is just popping back up and – to me, you like, mentioned there was something that caused this discussion to re. Yeah, it, so as, uh, there's just an individual who uploaded a video of how he. Um, let, let me pull up the title. Got okay. He kind yeah, of got he, funneled into the alt right through yeah. a series of progressingly serious alt right videos. Is that what you're saying? Just an an individual. Posted a video on YouTube that's a 40-minute video telling the story of how he fell into the alt-right through YouTube specifically and detailed how one video led to another and what the examples were that led him to be just a out-and-out misogynist and racist and uh, just completely consumed with resentment. Because of YouTube videos. Uh, He now is starting – this was his first video he ever posted and now his goal is to debunk like right-wing media, kind of like ContraPoints does. And people just picked up on it and the thing went viral. There's like a half a million views on this and it was his first video. And how old is Caleb? Young guy in his 20s or something. Okay. Um, I'm always curious when I hear people say, oh, yeah, that was back when I was a conservative libertarian like six months ago. Yeah. It's like, well, how are you already a diehard you know, Trotskyist <laughs> in six months? Because it seems like you're just jumping around from identity and to identity. Exactly. That's the thing is uh, these are, though, influential for young people specifically. And I feel like an entire generation is going to be largely – shaped by the content they consume mm-hmm. and it's more extreme than past generations had been exposed or how they figured out their political beliefs and just it, because these ideas weren't as accessible yeah and i think that if your large like your main view of the world's culture is through youtube videos <laughs> you'd think that college freshmen are the greatest threat to the Earth civilization. They're the reptilians controlling everything with their whining. Yeah, if they disrupt class one more time, this is all going to fall apart. And conservatives will lose their jobs for just being conservative, and I'll get milkshake thrown at me for just walking down the street. The crybabies. Like, when milkshaking, conservatives act like that's the most hideous crime ever done against them. When if you look at the things that they claim about groups, if you had done that about an individual or an individual family, no one would question if you went and tossed a milkshake on them. Or let's say you went to someone's house and you stood in front of it and you went, there are terrorists that live inside this house. There are murderers. <sighs> if they came out and you know hosed you down and threw a milkshake at you, no one would be complaining about that. Go, oh, yeah. You got what you deserved. But since it's in the case of he's making these claims about 
thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Everyone goes, no, you have to respect the discourse. That's just his opinion. Mm-hmm. And I mean you have people routinely showing up to churches with – God hates gays to abortion clinics, shaming women that walk in, and that's all just common, acceptable. That's there's no outrage over that. Yeah, or what they like claim that. And who are they targeting in those instances? They're targeting random people, as opposed yeah, to public. people of some sort of public notoriety who are in mm. positions of power. Yet, yeah. if you go after them, they have a larger outlet to speak out. And they can get all the sympathy on their side. Yeah. Um, it's a bit – tactically, I'm not sure how I feel about the whole milkshake thing. Like, You think it alienates people? Yeah. It's uh, – I don't think it's really the best way to positively influence. It's a way to kind of rile up some people and that They're I understand. But less uh, – Maybe more extreme people who are turned off by that behavior. Yeah, and it's easy for to give them ammunition and just. Uh, but I mean, look at like the most recent thing that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez said. Are you familiar with how she described the conditions at the, um, the camps yeah. down on the border? Yeah, as concentration camps, uh-huh, where she then... uses the correct definition of concentration camp. They'll still go after her. They'll still find any reason to act like they're being persecuted. They are relentless with her. It is insane how they go after her for every single word she says. And it's how much attention they give this girl in Congress because it's like she's a freshman House of Representatives member. She's not the president or just a – uh, she's influential. Yeah, she's a kind of a, a spokesperson. Um, she's gotten a lot of attention. And but who gave it to her? Exactly. The a lot of her prominence is due to the just hatred coming from conservatives and the attention they just laser focus on her and they, yeah, trip over every single word going through it with a comb. Mm-hmm. See, oh, is, did she screw up here? Did she screw up here? Yeah, they they will take clips of like. A sentence and out of context, yeah, it's, it can sound bad, but most of the time it doesn't even. Like if you're a normal person watching it, you don't go, oh, what an idiot. She doesn't think cows should be eaten. Yeah, it's, it, most people would watch and go, huh? But then the commentary, you get – blurs the line of what even happened. But yeah, the um, – the, Internet too, like uh, Facebook boomer memes about her or Ilhan Omar or Rashida Tlaib are – they are like scary. <laughs> yeah, it's the thinnest veil of <clears throat> attempts at humor. Yeah. Or it hardly even pretends like it's trying to be a joke. Mm-hmm. It will have a picture of like a snake next to Ilhan Omar. Be like – both of these things are dangerous for America. Yeah. I, it's um, – this is just so much resentment packed into the, those people and I'm just pumped up by that. And when you consume the media they consume, maybe it makes sense. 
Because if you believed everything they said about Ilhan Omar, mm-hmm. yeah, she's the most evil person currently in Congress. Yeah, the Fox News and similar outlets like that are they they're so focused and effective that way. Like they they have marching orders of propaganda. It's similar to like what you would see in a fascist country. Just how they create the propaganda or an. Uh, totalitarian government just churning out uh, propaganda for the government. Yeah, this is who you hate this week. They are so focused on being the victim, though, that they're always the ones out of power, even though now they have complete power. Like, they have the majority in all the places that matter. But they still, they can only function from the attack position the mona- the blame cuz the whole world is out to get them yeah it's uh that's what's interesting and i hope that people catch on eventually just the the rural voters the southern white people that they catch on that wait i'm not getting anything out of this but i feel like what needs to happen for that to occur is there needs to be some sort of voice in the media, putting forth the idea of class consciousness, because yeah. that's so lost within our society, where everything's broken down into divisions on race or gender or sexuality, that no mm-hmm. one can even see the idea of class. And that's not to say that race, gender, sexuality don't exist, and those are not clear distinctions, and people treat each other differently based on that. Yeah. But ultimately, a lot of these policies are not going after you know, yeah. rich black people, rich people in positions of privilege. They're going after random poor white people. They're going after random poor black people. Yeah. And I mean that going back to like what we were saying about YouTube and its influence over young kids, you need people who speak the language of these folk, of whoever it is. And that was a big reason why that specific story of the kid – talking about his fall into the alt-right through the content he consumed. It was because he was a gamer and the videos he started watching spoke his language. I mean, there was Gamergate in that. Yeah, they're going after your hobby. Yeah. The thing you like. He understood. It resonated. They felt like they were on his side. And that's what's difficult is you need figures to, to speak to those people. Where we are right now is so polarized and so like urban rural divide that the the political divide fits a lifestyle divide too so you don't have many people that can be those figures to reach out to them yeah and think about it when you ever you hear on the news oh the working class went for donald trump Mm -hmm. who are they talking about they're just talking about working class white people yeah it's like they completely ignore it's as if any sort of minority is a monolith, and they're all a single entity. Yeah. White people are the only people allowed by the media to have these divisions. Mm-hmm. And where disproportionately, black people are working class at a higher rate than white people. And what's so difficult about that is white people's refusal to acknowledge that that's a truth. <laughs> like, yeah, or that things that will help poor white people – can also help 
poor black people. It's like when Hillary Clinton said, well, breaking up the banks isn't going to stop racism. Yeah. And it's like, okay, first of all, it might help. Mm-hmm. And second of all, there's multiple issues that need to be dealt with. Yeah. Um, God, I just notice so often in just observing people in my life how much racism there still is, but how quiet it is now and how mm-hmm. um, repressed and like just it's within people. Even to themselves, it's hidden. Exactly. They don't recognize these racist tendencies they have. Yeah. I have them too. I tried my best to find them and analyze them when I do find them. Uh-huh. But I think that all people carry it to some extent. Yeah. Um, it's just uh, what worries me is that it used to be that people were like out front with it. So you saw it. But now when I just observe people, it's like like you said, they, they're they not even aware that they have it. So and when you do address it, it's like you're attacking mm-hmm. them. Yeah. So it's, it's a really a, hard thing to talk about with people. Because societies – most people in society have recognized, yeah, racism is bad. bad. So yes. if you tell them that they're acting in a racist way, uh-huh. they feel like you're telling them that they are bad. Yeah, I know. It, it's a really hard thing to ever have a, a constructive conversation about with people. It's like, no, you just have some – Views that are not correctly thought out, they may have been mm-hmm. placed into your mind through the media you consume, something like that, yeah. and you can adjust. That doesn't mean you're permanently damaged. Yeah, and uh, there's just – we still have so much segregation just because of uh, exposure to people. Like it's it's not anymore like a, a legal segregation, but just white people around white people and – uh, you got black people concentrated in certain urban areas just typically. And so th- people don't get exposure to diversity often. Mm-hmm. But to go back to the, the working class point you were making, the stats on that, they're s- just staggering. Um, for every $100 a white family has in wealth, black families hold $5.04. That is a huge mm-hmm. difference. So when people talk about things like getting Medicare for all, mm-hmm. improving minimum wage, those are not targeting directly poor white people like a lot of, I guess, you know, Biden liberals want to pretend. Yeah. It's addressing anyone who struggles to get by. And disproportionately – those people have to be black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if if you look at then if to put those numbers in the context of like your salary in a year, the median salary for black household sixty eight hundred dollars. White in household Minnesota or nationwide a hundred thousand dollars plus. Like six. Wow. Yes, that's so much worse than I imagined. It's so staggering. What I mean, there's. Tons of different studies into this that all have virtually the same results too. It's you're talking about uh, consistently always less than twenty thousand dollars, and white people over a hundred thousand dollars. Another thing that annoys me, and this is a little off topic, is just how the media portrays certain candidates. Let's say Bernie Sanders, yeah. who is the most popular candidate amongst mm-hmm. non-white Democrats. 
and they'll trot out every number of statistic to prove the contrary of that. Yeah. They'll go, oh, well, amongst black people, uh, Biden's the most popular by 3%. Mm-hmm. Never mind the fact that uh, Latinos outnumber black people in America 3 to 1. And I remember there's a great example of this. Uh, you were producing with Brett, and Brett talked about it, and I couldn't get through to you guys. Uh, my phone wasn't working, but um, oh, I know where they said about. Bernie voters, uh, what was it, like 25% would vote for Trump over Elizabeth Warren? or something? Was it, that it, right? No, uh, that might have been there, but I think a lot of them were saying something like 33% of Bernie voters would have Joe Biden as their second choice. Oh, yeah, there was that. But then it was also brought that Bernie voters would vote for Trump before another candidate. And it, it oh, had okay. a number of 25 percent. At least when we were talking about that, every caller who was calling in and me and Brett both agreed, we've never even met someone with these opinions. No, the study that they were referring to was completely out of context because the scenario that it posed didn't have candidates named in it. So it was people would check Trump and Bernie was one of the that had the least amount of people that would vote for it. Like you had Amy Klobuchar had 80 percent would vote for Trump over this person. Uh, Kamala Harris had 75 percent. But it was because the study was like phrased a certain way that was designed to get that answer. But they only focused on Bernie, who was at the bottom of the list. But they made it this huge headline that all Bernie Sanders voters are going to vote for Trump instead of any other Democrat. Yeah, that was a bizarre study. And I think that as Brett was reading it, even Brett was realizing, like, this all sounds wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and every caller we got in who was saying, I don't know anyone who would do that. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. Um, but I know that there is a, a hatred in a lot of the media towards him and to misrepresent him purposefully. And why, why do you think that is? Because I have a theory, but it just seems too complicated. Where a lot of times I think that it's simpler than anything. Yeah. Like apply Occam's razor. But to me, it's just that he is a deviation from the norm. He wants to dismantle things that all of these media companies rely uh-huh. on. Yeah. Um, honestly, I don't know. I I haven't like reached a – a conclusion on what I think and why they do that, but um, potentially that is it. He's a threat to their interests. Could it just be that they are all kind of elitist and they see his views as childish, unrealistic? They think they know better than people and they he, want to feed them certain information that sways it a certain way? Um, I I really don't. I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. Um it's there is though a dislike um they really don't like things that give hope to <laughs> to young people at addressing these things well they like it when someone says hope yeah. but when they offer some sort of plans to go Actual about proposals. that yeah yeah policies are threats just uh because a person who has just the rhetoric of um mad lips that you can uh, put in Optimism, hope, inspiration. That's someone who can be molded to your own self-interest. 
Yeah, Mayor Pete still does not have any policies on his website. Not a single one? Not any proposals, no. It is very interesting, though, how things have changed very quickly. I mean, just Bernie, his ideas being acceptable, being mainstream and popular with people, it's so different from the the Bush era and what was acceptable. I mean, we were still in the days of Democrats advocating for civil unions and tax incentives and just such moderate, boring policies. But the media attention as well is just so heavily political nowadays, where back then it was like the Daily Show was one of the only outlets for political content with a kind of left-leaning hinge to it. Yeah, that's true. There's really no one criticizing Mm-hmm. The president after nine eleven. Yeah, absolutely. Not. There were no voices calling for calling against the war. Yeah. Like Janine Garofalo. Yeah, she was like the one, and they just blew her like attacked her well, yeah. to death. That's why they invited her on to yell at her. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, John Stewart is one of the few people. I don't think there's really been anyone like him since. I don't think there's going to be anyone like him for a while. Just no. Just because, I mean, recently, like when he went to Congress to fight for the um, James Zagoda Act. Yeah. For the 9-11 health uh, allotment for health care. Mm-hmm. I mean, you heard his testimony and it was so moving. And I don't think that he – that's not fake. That's no. That's sin- completely sincere. But he's such a good orator. And pro- he projects his emotions so clearly. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no comparison to any other broadcaster that I know of. And that's the way he's always been. That is just how he. That is typical John Stewart. Because I remember on Crossfire, he went on oh, yeah. and then lambasted them as being part of the problem for just the punditry of political news and Tucker Carlson wasn't wearing a bow tie Tucker much Carlson, after that. Yeah, Tucker was on crossfire and that was who he was yelling at and he just he made them speechless like uh, they had no response to him mm-hmm. and even though he was one of the few voices voicing out against the war back then mm-hmm. all of these people want to then nowadays deny the people who put their lives on the line for, you know, a little bit of money. Yeah. And he's the only one sticking up for them at this point, the first responders. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at the the bill that was originally signed, okay, it was in 2011, went to 2015. It was renewed in 2015, and it was supposed to go to 2090. Hmm. Well, four years later, they say, oh, we don't have enough money. Everyone's getting their uh, pensions cut or their claims cut by 50%. Anyone making a new claim is going to get 30% of what they originally would have gotten. I mean, yeah. Um, God, those – John Stewart, um, Michael Moore, uh, who else in that time? I mean, Noam Chomsky. Uh, I will always have a warm spot in my heart for them because uh, they were there at a time when no one was out there 
saying things that they were – there was no left-wing voice. But I don't – I mean I like Michael Moore and I love Noam Chomsky. But neither of them are the performers or orators that Jon Stewart is. Yeah, no, no. I'm just saying that the, like, those you know, are people that I admire oh, for yeah, sure. what they did at that time. No, I know. I'm saying that too. But that's why I, th- I think we struggle so much with the current administration. Every sort of criticism of him seems false. It seems yeah. performed. It seems like it's rehearsed. Yeah. Where no one seems to have a sincere from the heart criticism of what he's doing to this country. Yeah, I mean it all seems like a script that they're reading from at this point. I think it's kind of um there's a psychosis going on just from his actions and just how bizarre they are and uh, people just are overwhelmed and <laughs> I agree with you but I think they were overwhelmed at 9/11 also. And he was if you remember his show a couple days after 9/11 he broke down crying. He was like visibly shaking. Yeah. But he hmm. – it didn't harm his ability to communicate all this information and make it seem very yeah. vulnerable and sincere. At the same time, you see what he did in Congress just recently. Yeah. He went on June 12th to talk to Congress and then the next day they yeah. passed the bill. Yeah. That is a great point. I mean uh, he is – just a influential, We're the, special person. Yeah, like, like that little gremlin, Mitch McConnell. <laughs> he's gonna use he's like his little toy, his little golden <laughs> trinket. He's gonna hoard it away and be like, "Ooh, you don't want the firefighters to die of mesothelioma." <laughs> yeah, John Stewart is grade A blue ribbon good stuff. All right, folks, that's all for this week. Remember, as always, prosecute the Bush administration for war crimes. We're coming for you, bastards. Whether long-range weapon or suicide bomb, a wicked mind is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether you're Solar Wave Sun or BBC One, this information is a weapon of mass destruction. You could a Caucasian or a poor Asian. Racism is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether inflation or globalization, fear is a weapon of mass destruction. My dad. Oh, is, you know, one, one parent company owns... Almost 1,240 radio stations, almost 1,200 stations more than they were legally allowed to have in 1996. And when people hear that, they know that 40 to 1,200, that's, that's too much. And as soon as they could see that, they understood that something dramatic was taking place and something that they didn't want to happen in other areas of media. This is one of the things that's so chilling, again, about, in my opinion, about Clear Channel and how they've, they control so many stations and it's clear that they don't even care about that anymore. They're not even going to play that game and act, and act like there's any pretense of you listening to a local DJ. There are only certain demographics that are associated to the kinds of advertising revenue that can sustain the, the price points that they paid for these stations. So it's not an accident that, you know, every big company that comes into a market wants to have their pop radio station because that's, that's where they see their real income and revenue coming in. My and uh, Al Malberg's rivalry. Uh, Tinklers, they were the big, I mean, thick Tinklers. And I don't know how they made them, but boy, they were good. 
Now, back then, I may have had 29 pounds, <laughs> but not any longer. Let's go to Dominic. Hello. Dominic. You, you could be, Dominic, you could be an A student. I know. Of course, of course, not listening to this program would help. And definitely don't listen to Eric Nelson and Hunter Hawes, the mission accomplishers. Thanks, Dad.